Welcome to Play by Players, an MLSPA podcast. This show is brought to you by the players and is all about the players, both past and present, who have plied their trade in MLS. You'll hear about each player's journey into the game, their careers and life after the game, on the field and off. It's all on the table. Now here's your host, former MLS player, Bobby Boswell. I am joined today, a very special longtime MLS player. Uh, he has played over 250 professional games with Toronto, San Jose, Colorado, Minnesota, and the U.S. men's national team. He was a 2009 Gold Cup member. He was a 2012 Supporter Shield champion with San Jose. He won a national championship uh, at Wake Forest, where I believe he resides now. Uh, please welcome to the podcast, Sam Cronin. Bobby, thank you for having me, buddy. This is great to spend some time with you. Yeah, thanks, man. I know we uh, we we played against each other a lot, and then spent some time, uh, you know, at, at PA meetings over the years. But um, you know, it's good to it's good to catch up, and uh, you know, I think that you're a guy that the fans are want to know a lot more about. So this will be a good chance for them to uh, to to catch up and and figure out, uh, you know, what what kind of guy you were, not just on the field but off the field as well. Right. Yeah. Looking forward to it. So let's start. I, I always we like to do a timeline thing, and uh, I always do my homework, make sure I know as much about you as I can. Thing I had no clue about. You never mentioned this over the years. Uh, you you kicked field goals for one <laughs> one like I don't know it's a semester, but in in high school you were a field goal kicker. Yeah, this I haven't thought or talked about this probably since high school. Um, but our we had a good kicker at our high school who was a year older than me, and then when he graduated, my senior year of high school, there was a kicking void. So naturally, the, the soccer player gets thrown in. So I kicked my senior year, but <clears throat> football in North Carolina was in the fall, just like soccer was. So the agreement was that I would only kick in games. I wouldn't really go to practice because I was I was conflicting with soccer. <clears throat> so I kicked that season. And it was a ton of fun. Uh, and then I, a little known fact is I during one practice that I actually did go to, we had a defensive back um, challenge me that he could kick a field goal further than me. So not only did I take him up on that, I said that I could kick a left-footed field goal further than he could kick a right-footed one. Uh, so I won that bet. And then in the first round of our playoff game, a couple of weeks later, we were winning by a lot. So I took an extra point. Uh, I kicked an extra point left-footed. So that's my, that's my claim to fame uh, in a small town, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. About 15 years ago, in a playoff game, in a playoff, you kicked game. it in a playoff game. <laughs> it was probably like we were probably up four touchdowns, so maybe it was poor sportsmanship looking back on it. But when you're a little a little <laughs> high school kid, it seems like a good idea. No, that's incredible. What what uh, what was your long? Did you ever kick a? You know, I'm kind of setting you up here because I think I know the answer. But I, what what was your long in, in a regular game? I don't know the answer to that. Do you do you actually know the answer? Yeah, I, I had I had read that you never actually kicked a legitimate field goal. That the one you did kick was blocked, and then yeah, other than that, true. you just yeah, kicked yeah. Extra I was gonna, I was gonna say because I my first field goal attempt of the season got totally blocked, um, and then my I can remember another good just kind of fun fact. My first kickoff of the season, I thought this whole thing was gonna be easy, and then that the uh, the coach is like on kickoffs, just kick it, and then you can kind of stand around. First first kickoff of the whole season, this guy breaks down the sideline. So I go after him, never playing down a football in my life, try to make a tackle. 
I'm able to push him out of bounds and I feel like I broke my arm, but I was just like, my body was just not ready to play actual football. So, so, so I got, I got steamrolled on the sideline, didn't kick a field goal. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to my left footed extra point. That's all I got. Yeah, no, that, that's pretty good. That's a good one. So you, you think football is a little harder than uh, maybe soccer fans make it out to be? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. And do you think, do you, all these people say, do you think you could kick in the NFL? You're a guy that's actually spent a little bit of time kicking. Do you think, uh, do you think if you just focused solely on uh, on kicking, you think one of the big show or, or no, at least college? No, not for me. I think I could have at, at the college level. Um, and I think I've had, you and I both have probably had some MLS teammates that just have absolute cannons for legs that probably could play, like I've kicked at like a high level college or professionally, but I never, I didn't have quite strong enough leg for it. And um, the distance is less of a problem. It's more just the height with which you need to kick the ball up over the line is like the incredible thing. You watch some of these like NFL kickers and they're kicking 50 yarders, but they're getting it off the ground and super high from the start, uh, which I just don't have. And I don't think you have either. <laughs> yeah, no, I, de- I, listen, I'm not, I don't think I can do it. I, maybe, um, maybe, I maybe, maybe Brian Ching could have or Dero. I don't know. Abs- absolutely not Brian Ching. I think Stuart Holden had a cannon. Yeah, I, I think Stu- you're right. Yeah, I think it's Stuart the guys have with a cannon. The, yeah. I think it's the guys with the big legs. Yeah. You know, I know Sebastian Janikowski was a Florida guy and, they, yeah. You know, all the guys that played with him said he had a ro- he had a rocket from day one. So it's I think that's right. But we'll we'll stick off of uh we'll stay off of football from this point forward. We'll stick back <laughs> to soccer. But, you're you're uh, digging before we go. You're, be- you're digging deep in the yeah, bio there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we go too far, uh, tell me about your family. I know you you come with a you got some some brothers. I think you're like me, the youngest of four. Um, you know, and your your dad played some sports. Tell us about your family. You come from a pretty Jeez, athletic you're going, background. You're going so deep. This is great. Um, yeah, so I I I was born in Atlanta, uh, and I I was the fourth boy, um, and then my parents adopted a, our my little sister after me. So I think it's safe to say that I was a big disappointment that when I came out, I was a boy. <laughs> So my parents said, screw it, we'll just go, we'll just go adopt one to make sure that we don't get another knucklehead like these guys. Um, and then when I was little, we moved to, to North Carolina. So I had three older brothers. All, we all played sports competitively. So looking back, truthfully, I think that was kind of where it all started for me in terms of just following them around. And um, <clears throat> we played every sport under the sun. And I usually got the, my head beat in pretty consistently by them. Uh, which I think developed a little edge. Um, so really, I just followed them around. And then, yeah, my dad was a kind of a two-sport athlete in college. All my older brothers were good athletes. All played um, collegiately. Uh, so that kind of defined my childhood of just sports and competition. Uh, and while growing up, born in Atlanta, we grew up in, in Winston-Salem. And um, just to move on to the next stage a little bit, I, had, I, um, I was not a a huge recruit by any stretch, but I was able to somehow convince Wake Forest, which was right down the road for me. I was able to convince those coaches that I could maybe be a half decent player. So they, they gave me a chance, um, which was fun. So that so I, obviously my time at Wake Forest, really, I, I grew a ton as a player, um, as a, as a person too, just being a part of a good program there. So I kind of credit those four years as my real launch pad to, what ended up being a, a pretty long MLS career, but 
prior like high school and middle school i don't think i don't think many people would have thought i would have been able to kind of play in mls for as long as i did and i'm not sure i even believed that so it's funny you mention atlanta because i know atlanta uh, having been there they definitely claim you as one of their own yeah uh, and that's fine but i i considered i I, to me i'm north carolina is home it's kind of where i grew up um but Atlanta does have a good. Atlanta's got a good. No, that makes a sense. Good, so, a good uh, crew of MLS players: Ricardo, Sean Johnson, uh, just to name a couple. Who else is there? Oh, there's a lot. There's yeah, a lot. There's we pro- don't have to go there's too deep more into now, it. But, but yeah, but yeah, let, let's go. We'll go to we'll go to uh, Wake Forest. You won a national championship there. Um, you know, interesting. I, I saw that you were uh, you were runner up for the the Herman Trophy. For those that don't know, the Herman Trophy is the best college player in the uh, in the country at the college level. And uh, you actually lost to your teammate. That's that's kind of interesting to me that two guys from the same team were even nominated, and then uh, you know one of them goes on to win it. Right. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't deserve to be in that conversation. I don't think. But we had a really good team, so I the, I guess it was just like part like the success of the team kind of highlighted the individuals, which is, a, I guess, a good sports team lesson. But, um, yeah, Marcus Tracy was f- miles more qualified to win that award, so I was happy that he won it. And now he was the first guy in, in Wake Forest history to do that, um, which was a cool kind of signature moment for our program. And then since then, we've had two more, uh, Jack Harrison, formerly of NYCFC, and then Ian Harks uh, also won it, so... Um, yeah, but that was yeah. yeah my, I played my, with Ian in DC. Yeah, yeah, good guy. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, uh, we you say you don't think you're deserving, but then we go, we fast forward uh, to the draft. Uh, you know, you get drafted, you know, second to there, and Zakawani was taken first. I think that's 2009. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and, and tell me, walk me through. Just you're acting like uh, you said earlier already that you didn't think you know if you had what it took to you know be at the professional level. You don't think you're deserving of the best college player, but then we go to the draft and you're actually taken second overall. Um, and, and here you go. You're, you're starting your career off in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. So, and to also just, it's, I think it's worth noting that at the draft, um, I literally had, this is a decent story. I had a, a you know, at the combine, you, you kind of meet with some coaches occasionally, whoever wants to meet with you. And I met with a few, um, and one was Bruce when when he was with the Galaxy. They had the third pick in the draft. They ended up taking Omar, which obviously he led to a couple MLS Cups, a couple Defensive Player of the Years. But um, in college, I was kind of more of like a two-way midfielder. And I had a meeting with Bruce the night before my final game. And he just, in his like big Bronx accent, was like, Cronin, can you sit? Can you sit in front of the back four and just win balls? Like, one gave me gave me one of those. So I'm like. Okay, sure. So the, he talks to my combine coach, and he plays me as a holding midfielder. Uh, that next game in the morning, and I'm all fired up, ready to crush people to prove to Bruce Arena that I can be a ball winner in the middle of the field. And literally like two minutes into the game, I go up for a header on a corner kick, and I get elbowed in my face and bust my lip open, like straight through. Like you could see my teeth, and I had to get stitched. So I, I had to exit the game got stitches all the way, like I got like 20 some stitches down outside of my lip and then underneath too. Um, so that, that ended that and I was like, crap, I'm not going to be able to prove that I can do that role. Uh, so then at the draft, what, like four days later, 
I got a lip the size of Texas, uh, and then I ended up getting drafted to Toronto. So I was kind of hoping to go to L.A., but uh, it obviously it played out differently. And so all my pictures now, looking back at the draft, I got this. I got I'm wearing baggy a baggy suit, and I got a busted lip, so I don't look too great. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I I, I saw that video because it's one of the you know. I played a little bit longer than you and, and half of my stuff's not even on the internet. And then yeah. <laughs> we'll get into some stuff that's on the internet uh, with you in it later, but um, they, they do have that. And you really don't look that much different, um, you know, then than you do now. Are you saying I'm aging well here or what? Yeah, I think, I think you are. You're like a fine wine, but I mean, I don't, I didn't even really notice your lip. I just remember being like, he looks exactly the same uh at at this point that he's as he does now so yeah, I, I mean no, i think that's, that's a that's a compliment i got a, i got a couple more gray hairs but other than that i'm hanging in well you mentioned omar that like pretty interesting uh you know that draft class and and you know i was of the uh 2005 draft class i didn't get drafted so i can't really uh throw <laughs> myself in this conversation but uh, you know we always talk about who had the best draft class and that you know this this draft class that you're in is pretty impressive. Yeah. I know Matt Beasler goes, uh, Chris Pontius. You had Rodney Wallace, uh, Graham Zusi, AJ De La Garza. That, those are just some of the names yeah, that, uh, Steph, that stuck Steph, out to me. And, and these Fry. were all guys that were taken. Yeah, Stephen Fry. These are all guys taken after you. Um, yeah. You know, and and so it's a it's a pretty good list to be on. Yeah. No, I think it. Yeah, it's a, that's a good conversation, just like analyzing or debating MLS draft classes. And I think that 09's gotta be right up there. And if we could get if we could get you included in the 05, then that could be <laughs> that could be a good one too. Fighting for second place. Well, I think yeah, I think there's some good ones. Uh, you know, that I think the year before mine uh, was Chad Marshall's class, and I'm a big yeah. fan of Chad, so I think there were some really good guys in that one. But um, you know, I think you were kind of the there's a couple of good years after you, but then it really starts becoming a homegrown thing. And it, and yeah, it kind of kills I know. The draft, but. Yeah. Right. If, that's what's crazy now is like when you and I started in the league, the rookie of the year award was always like highly competitive and you could like throw out like a handful of people because a ton of rookies played. But now it's like, if you just play, you're going to be like a yeah. leading candidate. If you can get a little bit of run. So it's just interesting, just the evolution of the league and the, kind of transformation to more homegrown centric um is just kind of an interesting no, for sure. talking for sure. point you know well tell tell me about tell me about toronto you come in um you know they're a they're a bit of a different uh beast these days than when you started and, right. and you know t- take me through uh, a quick overview of that that uh, introduction to the team and your first uh first experiences with the guys i think in a lot of ways toronto is just the a great place for me to be drafted to just growing up in the South and then going to school at Wake Forest, 10 minutes down the road. Um, Toronto was just a major city, although a similar country, different country and just a totally new experience. Um, and I, I don't know if you remember, but my, in that 2008, nine off season is when Dero got traded, um, from Houston to the hometown hero is back. Uh, and one of the best players in the league history left you guys in Houston. So when I got drafted, there was just enormous kind of momentum and um, positivity around the team. And um, we had a kind of up and down season. I was able to play a lot, which was great for my development. Uh, and we stayed competitive. We weren't great, but we stayed competitive the whole year. And the signature moment was decision day, the last game of the season. 
We're playing at New York Red Bulls, old giant stadium. It's pissing rain. Uh, and they're the worst team in the league. I think they won like four games that season. So they're hopeless outside of they have Juan Pablo Angel, who was just banging in goals all season. Uh, and we end up taking on the chin and losing 5-0. to zero. We had everything to play for. They had nothing to play for. And we lost 5-0. So that kind of like the torture of TFC fans after the first couple of tough years. We got close that year. Uh, and blew it. And then the team, as you know, like 2010, 11, 12, got even worse. Uh, and obviously they're in a different stratosphere now, going to their third final in four years. But uh, so my first year was great, just kind of up and down, learning a lot. Um, but had some really, really good senior players that kind of Dero included in that group, obviously, have kind of taught me just how to be competitive and how to be a good pro. Uh, and all those sort of things. So a big learning curve my first year. Yeah, so you mentioned D-Row, and there's some other, you know, I think Stefan Fry was a rookie with you, yeah. if I'm correct. And um, yeah, Carl Robinson was on that team, right? Yeah. He was Yeah, he, he was still playing. And y'all, he did he take you under his wing at all? Yeah. I know he's a bit of a, a, a natural leader. Yeah, he was great. We, we played the same position too. And um, he, yeah, from day one, he was wonderful with me. Uh, and him and I played in the middle a lot together with... Uh, with Amada Guevara in front of us. And then Dwayne kind of played in front, and then I'll, like, he played a little bit wide too. So um, so for me as a young player to play alongside Carl, who played for the in England for forever in the Wales national team, and then Amado played for his national team, captain them in the World Cup, and D-Row. I was like, our team wasn't great, but in, in those positions we were really strong. So uh, to be able to play with those guys was was a really, really good kind of learning experience. And um, for me as a first year pro was was Danny Dickio still there oh yeah yeah he so the, I, I, I've heard he's you know when people throw around the words of a uh, teammate legend oh yeah uh, he's he, he's on top of the list T- tell me a little bit about Danny I know it's his last year I think but tell me tell me about him he yeah uh, just you nailed it he just uh, absolute super guy um he was on he was on the back nine of his career to say the least I mean he had just an incredible career in England, Italy, um, just total clinical finisher, but he was more in that reserve kind of senior leader capacity when I played with him, but just hilarious in the locker room, just great banter, um, and still still could could execute and perform at a high level. He just wasn't fit to do it for 90 minutes. Uh, The thing that I took away the most from him, uh, or just the most impressed with, was his finishing was outrageous. Like his technique, he would almost exclusively never lace a ball. Everything was inside of the foot, uh, but he could generate enough power from like 20, 25 yards all inside of the foot, just like passing the ball into the top corner. Um, so I think he was one of the better finishers that I ever played with. Uh, and then we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about Wando here soon, who you were a teammate of, but uh, Danny Dicchio, I didn't play with him long, but he, he rivals just an all-time he didn't do it in MLS necessarily but I think he's one of the all-time more clinical finishers to ever play in MLS I would say yeah that's that's good to hear man I I just he always took us under his wing when we would go up there to, to go out after the game with some of the guys right. and uh, he was he just was like the all-around world-class nice guy and I know guys loved him and the fans loved him yeah. so uh it's pretty cool that uh that you got to play with him for a little bit there for sure um, and then, you know, we were kind of, 
yeah, I'm not going to say that there aren't rookie initiations, but I, I definitely think you can uh, testify that over the years, it's gotten a lot more mellow. Um, you know, we were kind of that old school that was still rookie initiations. Did you have any of that? Uh, you know, I think you kind of had some old school guys on that, that Toronto team where did you have anything you can, uh, you can mention and, and, and public on, on <laughs> what happened or. Yeah, no, it wasn't too wild. And we had, we had more than rookie initiation. Initiation is like not the right word necessarily, but it was any new player had to, it was a F Florida preseason trip. We had to sing a song. So, uh, so I had to do it, obviously sing a song to the team and the coaching staff and then answer a bunch of questions. What'd you go? Answer a bunch of questions. What'd you go, I sang, What'd you go with? Um, uh, what's the song? Uh, uh, I need you. Clearly, this is yeah. A, I can't. I can't even you, remember really. Uh, are you a good singer? No, terrible. So it was totally, it was, yeah, totally embarrassing, terrible. And I can't even think of the song. It's kind of on the tip of my tongue, but I can't think of it. Uh, but do, I remember Dero did a little song and dance, and we had to answer a bunch of inappropriate questions that I probably can't share. I, I actually remember those questions better than I remember the song. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I, my initiations were. Uh, you know, we're, we're not allowed to talk about for uh, legal reasons uh, ongoing good... litigation with the with the MLSPA. So I'm not sure that they'll even air that part. But uh, <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, so let's go. We'll fast forward. You say that those are some some tough years for you for the team. Um, you know, you you get bounced out at the end of the year. But uh, but y'all did win two Canadian championships, yeah. uh, 2009 and 2010. Uh, and I'm not going to. I don't like talking trash about the Open Cup or the Canadian Cup, but let me ask you this. How many games did you have to win to win the Canadian like Cup? Like two or three, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like, I think there are more teams in the Canadian Cup now. but And then it's important to, to not to minimize it, but we were the only MLS team at the time. So we were competing against Montreal Impact was what USL or whatever they were, NASL, I'm not sure. Vancouver yep. was the same, so we were the only. I mean, we should we should have won that every year, um, and we made it pretty tight. We made it tighter than it should have been. <laughs> it should have been. We had a thriller. Yeah, we had but... a thriller in Montreal. We had like we came back. I think we won by like we had to, we were, we had to win by four or something, and we and we ended up winning by five or something, just kind of crazy. But it was their first Canadian Cup, so you know it didn't. It felt like a big deal at the time. Looking back, I, I, I kind of side with you that I don't think the Canadian Championship, especially in 2009, was like a signature moment to really, really celebrate. But obviously, Toronto FC is a, a major club now, so that, and that's part of their their history. So, in some little way, it, well, it was important. Well, you know, what's crazy is I actually I feel like the Canadian fans though take a lot more pride in the. Canadian Cup than the uh, American fans take pride in the U.S. Open I Cup. Would you say that's I, accurate? I think that's totally accurate. And I don't know why exactly. I think maybe because they're just less teams. Like, cause, you know, in the U.S. Open Cup, they're like, even for the coaches, you probably played on a ton of teams where the coaches don't even take it seriously. And if you get bounced out, not a big deal. Focus on league play. And then if you can kind of make it to like the quarter or semifinals, then you start to take it seriously. So... Uh, I don't know. It's something that I think MLS could probably maybe rethink a little bit and try to make it a little bit more meaningful. But yeah, I I never played for a coach that took it seriously, and I, I hated the Open Cup. Yeah, 
you know, as a, def- a defender, you always got you always played, but then they would mix up the midfielders yeah. and the forwards. <laughs> Right. And and then so you're out there getting shelled, um, you know, and they don't set you up to succeed if right. they don't take it seriously. Totally. And then, uh, but all right, so we'll, we'll fast forward. The, then you get traded to San Jose. Tell me, walk me through this. I mean, you have to be excited, uh, you know, to be going to San Jose uh, from Canada, considering you know what was going on there. Right. Yeah, I was. Um, I actually got traded during the World Cup break in 2010. I was in Charleston, South Carolina for like a day and uh, Mo Johnston calls me. He's like, yeah, you're getting, you're getting traded to San Jose. I was like, where is it? I like, didn't even know. I was like so young and green. <laughs> so I like got to Google, I had to Google, Google it. Didn't know where I was going, but uh, it ended up to be, it ended up being just a fantastic move for me. Had to play, played for some great teams, played with some awesome teammates that taught me a lot and, just life experience living on the West Coast was was fun and and cool. So, um, yeah, it ended up being a great great trade, and uh, spent some of my best years out there in San Jose that I look look back most fondly on. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you talk about we we discussed Wando earlier. I mean, that team, uh, and and I have uh, I have interviewed Wando and talked about some of these guys, but I, I mean, feel free to pick a name off of this list and, and tell me his story. You know, you got Wando, you got Joe Cannon, Alan Gordon, <laughs> like Bobby Condi was there with you. Yeah, you had yeah. the, the king of the king of the hype master, Jason Hernandez, <laughs> uh, you know, I, Ike Opara, the, the lunatic and Steven Leonard. Yeah. Uh, and then my all time favorite center back in MLS, uh, Victor Bernardes was yes. even there. So what, uh, you know, what, what of those names who sticks out and, you know, don't, uh, you don't have to do a deep dive. Just yeah, yeah. what do you remember from that? I mean, the, the ones that stick out the most of that crew, uh, Wando, Lenny and Gordo, the bash bros, obviously that's like very <laughs> memorable. And I like inserted myself. I was like the mini bash bro. Like I wanted, I desperately wanted like be big and crazy like them but i just i couldn't be but i used to work we used to work out in the gym and i was like their little sidekick little mini me um so those teams were just great and just so much fun i mean you remember you remember those teams we weren't great but we just like we had this cohesiveness and competitiveness and team spirit that was just so fun and we were all like no matter what happened it's it felt like we were in, we were always in every game scored a bunch of late goals um so those teams were great and then uh, Jason Hernandez, the all-time hype man, the freaking reekin, Puerto Rico's finest. Uh, him and I just sh- like grew a really good friendship out there. We were both actually living in San Francisco, so we were carpool buddies down to San Jose. Uh, and so we just that's a long drive, so we just spent tons of time um, out there doing that. And th- yeah, one of my all-time favorite buddies. Um, and now he's up at, at TFC, so. Those the the Bash Bros and and Jason uh, are the names that stick out. Awesome, man! Awesome. Well, uh, 2012, you win the Supporter Shield there, so it's a not just a, a fun time, but a, a good team. But I'm going to go the other way with it, and there is a video online. Uh, it's called "Do You Feel That?" and it's it's literally this is like MLS. I don't even want to say. I hate when people say 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, but I mean, this thing looks like it was shot in a warehouse, and it's like Wando juggling the ball. Oh, For those of you Which that you know, are, he uh, can't even have, juggle the ball. So, 
yeah, yeah. For those that have internet access, uh, you should watch this. It literally looks like an outtakes to like a crime, like a crime that has just been committed. And it, and my favorite part of this video is that you're in it, but you clearly don't want to be in it. And yet you still are. And like, there's guys kicking the ball around. They're kicking it off a wall. I mean, do you, oh, do you remember I, yeah, some, yeah. Some, some of the bad stuff that was early oh, MLS? Dude, and this is, yeah. I mean, this is, this is up there with like one of the worst videos I've ever seen in terms of a production quality. Yeah. It's, um, it's, there's probably just some like intern 21 year old, like thought it was a good idea. And there was no budget to like hire a senior person to like qualify the video, <laughs> you know? Uh, I do. I actually, I don't remember seeing the video. I can't remember that necessarily, but I, I do remember filming it with Wando in this warehouse and we were just like, what are we doing? Uh, so. Yeah. It, it's one of the few videos where you could see on a guy's face, like I, this is, this isn't real, but it was real. Um, I gotta, but, I gotta, go, you know, I gotta Google this now. Yeah. It's kind of old school. Nowadays it's all main, you know, huge productions, everything looks, yeah. you know, it's done a little bit better, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a testament to those old days. Right. Uh, but really, that wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I know. This times have changed quick. The the crews, the crews well, now w could make Wando seem like a skillful player, probably even. <laughs> taking shots, taking shots. Uh, no, well, well so I, I bring up that video because there's another video out there that you're famous for, and this is the, the David Beckham kick. Oh, geez. And, uh, you know, it, it's a you know, a ball, he kicks a ball at you in a game. He clearly got under his skin. Uh, I, I bring that up because I recently, I posted a video of Zlatan, uh, grabbing his, uh, genitalia when he was leaving the field. Um, and it was my most popular tweet of all time. Oh, that's great. And it, it just goes to show you how famous these guys are right. Beckham for, you know, I, I, when you look up Sam Cronin, this is what pops up. Right. It's a uh, Beckham kicking a ball at you and, and vice versa. So, uh, I bring those guys up because, they're both huge names. They're huge DPs. Uh, and you, like me, in your career, you never really played with a with a real big DP yeah, right. uh, or a, a real big name guy. And, um, you know, I always had some thoughts on I'm curious as to what your thoughts were, uh, you know, having never had that opportunity, even though you've been around the league for, for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just like it, it's, it doesn't seem like the discrepant is Laton maybe is a huge like stands literally and figuratively head and shoulders above the league. But um, those DPs don't seem to exist quite as much now. I mean, we've kind of trended to like younger, younger like South American players that maybe aren't as globally famous as Beckham was. But yeah, I mean, back when we were playing that the DPs were like super massive global superstars like Henri and Beckham. And I think, I think the transition to like more productive younger players has probably been a good one, but um, those guys, no doubt, Beckham more than anybody else was a big driver of the league, and I think came at an important time. Um, and it would have been cool to be teammates for some of those guys, especially Beckham, just because I'm sure you've heard tons of stories about him in LA that everyone loved him, like up and down the roster, just a great teammate. Um, so, yeah, that I mean. That would have been a, a cool experience, but I don't, I don't, I don't, by no means do I lose sleep over it or anything. And with, <laughs> with Beckham, for sure, we had, that was like primetime Cali Classico days where both of our teams were good. Galaxy was winning the league every year and we were kind of like trying to punch above our weight. Uh, so we had some great games with them. I love that video because it, it just kind of shows 
you, you know, you have y'all are like the workers mentality, um, you know, and and you were, you know, that was kind of your mo, right? Like your your work rate, and you you were a very good player on the ball, but you were a lot of the work you did was off the ball, and uh, you know, you were able to get under a guy's skin uh, to the point of of getting him kicked out of the game. Um, you know, and you seem like you played with a healthy aggression. Would you would you say that's accurate? And if that's the case, what what would you say was your driving force uh, behind that? Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. I think. Um... I think I got a little bit of the competitiveness just growing up with older brothers, just kind of getting <laughs> getting beat up constantly for like all of my childhood, not like a, a like a mean way, but just being the younger brother. Um, but then, honestly, I think more than that is I've just, I played with some teammates, particularly in San Jose, that I, I thought that from my experience were like all time competitors and consistent competitors, like every day in training games. That was kind of the environment that we had there. Jason Hernandez being one of those. Wando, as you know, is a maniac. Alan Gordon, Stephen Lenhart. Those guys are like just wired a little bit differently and are kind of in the mold of like some of the of your personality and then some of the guys you had in Houston in those really good championship years. Um, so just seeing seeing how those guys worked and realizing that that's a big part of it. I mean, I wasn't gifted with loads of ability. I had enough to be serviceable and. I I've kind of figured out quickly that the the more aggressive I could play and be healthy and the f- more fit I was and all those kind of other areas that are controllable, you could I could kind of elevate my game and elevate myself to just be a better player. So uh, because of those teammates and those experiences, I think in San Jose especially, I kind of my consistent competitiveness improved. Uh, which was which was important for me to really establish myself as as a pretty solid MLS player. No, that's that's interesting. Um, well, then, so we we wrap up San Jose. You end up going to Colorado. Um, you know how do you, you know you kind of went from Toronto to San Jose. Now you're going to Colorado. How are you feeling about this this move? Yeah, I was excited for Colorado. I just I had been in San Jose for a while, and our team outside of that 2012. We, we missed the playoffs in 2013 and 14. So it was like, our, we, and then Dom came in. So it just seems like there's we're kind of turning, the page was turning there a little bit and it was probably time for a new challenge. Uh, so I was excited for Col- heading to Colorado. Our team was not great though <laughs> at all. So that was 2015 especially. It was just a tough year. A lot of new players kind of, um, kind of had a new identity a little bit too. The team did. Pablo Mastriani was a young coach. So we took some grown pains in that first season, but uh, that next year in 2016, we had a, we had a great year. Uh, so the, the progression of taking our lumps in 2015 and kind of growing and uh, improving into 2016, I think made that success of that season even more rewarding. Yeah, that you had the addition uh, while you're there. You get Tim Howard comes in, Jermaine Jones, right. uh, Shelton Gashi. You know, I've heard some interesting stories about Gashi. He seems like a pretty uh, entertaining guy. Can you verify that one? Yeah, that's a, that's like a kind way to put it. But yeah, he was just a. I remember, <laughs> I remember literally we signed him in the off season, and I was, uh, I was in like a couple of weeks before preseason was going to start, just training a little bit and. This guy was, I see him in the bathroom. I didn't even know who he was. He, he's got super slicked back hair, like three-piece suit on. 
and he's like he's like our new D- our new DP from Switzerland, and he was just like. He was like, oh, it's so good to meet you. This is fantastic. I love Colorado. The weather is fantastic. Just going on and on. And I was like, oh, this guy's going to be an absolute hoot all year. Uh, and he was, <laughs> and he scored, he scored some great goals. And, but he was, it was just pretty inconsistent performances. But like a good guy, but kind of got in his own way sometimes, you know? Yeah, no, he, he was interesting. I mean, that's, that's a great way to, I, I just think he's interesting. I'll leave it at that. But yeah. Uh, so you kind of get, uh, I call it blindsided. You get blindsided by a trade. Uh, you and Mark Birch, you head up yeah. to Minnesota. Um, you know, were you, were you upset with the trade or, or kind of, you know, I'm trying to understand, you know, let, let people understand what goes on. One day you show up to work and the next day they're saying you're getting shipped out. Thanks for your service, but we don't need you anymore. Right. And I, I didn't really particularly love Pablo's comments about that trade um you know and i'm really close with mark i know he didn't take it very well right Uh, how did you handle that one yeah i don't think that that was the one trade in my career that i didn't think was handled very well uh for me specifically i just think i I just know i share a bit of background in that obviously minnesota was coming into the league that off season they were announced what probably a year earlier and in that off season i was i served as my own agent so i was kind of in all these conversations that maybe an agent would typically have, but I had conversations with, uh, with Minnesota and with the Colorado brass throughout that off season about potentially going up there to start the franchise. Uh, and then, then it kind of, it didn't work out and we just recommitted to Colorado and I thought that was the end of it. And I thought I was going to, you know, I signed a new contract with Colorado. So I thought I was going to be there for the foreseeable future and build on this, the, kind of success that we had in 2016 and and then just three games into the season the rug was pulled out from under us and um I thought it was a little bit of a panic decision uh and not not very well thought out but um yeah so but nothing you can do as you know so I was off to I was off to Minnesota got a call on a Friday uh the team was playing Salt Lake the next day uh and I couldn't I couldn't get up there for logistical reasons quickly enough but yeah, it was just like it's it's incredible how just quickly that happened, and I was at a different stage of life too, where you know we had my wife and I had two. I was married, we had two kids, we kind of were setting up some roots in Colorado, so that was a it was a difficult move, and then get up to to Minnesota, and the team was that I was walking into was kind of in chaos. I mean, I don't, like the first two games in MLS history, I think they gave up like what eleven goals or something like that, so. It's not like I was walking into a really established like senior group, so it was just like roll your sleeves up and get to work straight from straight from day one up there. Um, so yeah, that the trade was was kind of I was blindsided by it a little bit, and obviously Birchie and I went north to the to the frozen tundra and tried to try to do our best. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I know uh, you know a lot of y- y'all did y'all did bring in some optimism, and I think that. You know, they were kind of missing that holding that holding presence and, and I thought you did pretty well there um, but then unfortunately for you um, you know it gets kind of kind of called uh, called a little too soon and 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 that you get you sustain uh, some head injuries so uh, you know I don't want to go too deep on the concussions but I do I I've I think I've played with more guys that have suffered head injuries and I, you know yeah, I, you probably luckily have. that means I that means I wasn't the guy uh, initiating them, but, um, I could, you know, tell me, uh, walk me through kind of how, 
how it ended there. Um, you know, because people, we'll get into concussions after just walk me through that, yeah. the kind of the ending of it all. And then we'll talk about that. Yeah. After. I mean, just as you know, I mean, you, you probably had some yourself and, and just, they seem to be just growing and kind of not popular, just like an, the growing in understanding and research of what a concussion is and what it isn't and how it can look so different. And, uh, I, I had a couple throughout my career and then up in Minnesota, I got to the point where I, I literally couldn't head a soccer ball without these just really not normal symptoms were flaring up. Um, so it got pretty scary and I tried, I was seeing all these different therapists and doctors and you name it. I saw everybody, um, but I just couldn't get symptom free. And obviously I was, as you could probably relate to, I was a new player there in 2017 and our team wasn't good. So I was like desperate to play and help the team and make a good impression and impact. But I was doing all that while I just felt terrible all the time. Um, and then I got a couple bigger hits throughout that season. And then at the end of 27, I got drilled with a shot in Chicago, um, diagnosed a concussion that ended that season. I tried to get back for the following preseason, but I just couldn't get asymptomatic. Uh, and I, you know, took a little header in that preseason. That was job done. The doctors were like, get, you know, given where you are and your symptoms and your inability to improve, we don't think you should play again anymore. So, so that was it. I mean, it literally was like <laughs> went to training, and then I would say a couple of days later, I was, uh, yeah, I was, you know, medically retired, and I, the doctors wouldn't allow me to step back on the field. And I fought that decision a little bit earlier on, but. Um, I knew at that time that it was the right, I knew it was the right decision deep down. So, um, but I can just remember like just breaking down crying after that happened, just cause you like, I and you can probably relate to this of just playing for such a long time and knowing that you're just, I was, I knew I was done. It was literally like so abrupt, uh, and so finite that it's just kind of overwhelming. And, um, so that was a long time ago. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was not at all how I wanted it to end. Um, yeah, I, I, for whatever reason, I always had this goal that I wanted to play 300 games. I like always felt like a kind of MLS Ironman achievement. You probably played like, how many did you play? Well over that, I bet. Yeah, I got, I, I was with you. I wanted to get, I wanted to, and I didn't get to, four was the new goal. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, they just, the phone didn't ring. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so I like, I was like, commit i was and not on it I and mean, for whatever reason it sounds kind of random but i always prided myself on just being available and playing every game and you know being a solid player and so the, my inability to get to 300 games is like something that still kind of bothers me a little bit um but it wasn't wasn't meant to be obviously yeah well i guess my question is you know when i I had uh, Brian Namoff was kind of the first guy that a lot of people really, you know, Taylor obviously yeah. is a Taylor Twelman. Um, but, you know, early on when, when these things were so misunderstood, um, you know, it was like guys, guys were stigmatized first, you know, it's, it's like, you know, if you break a leg or you tear an ACL, it's like, Hey, Oh, I get it. He can't walk. Right. right? Um, you know, but you know, breaks his collarbone. It's like, Oh, you know, he'll be out. But, with concussions, there's nothing to really see. And there was this huge stigma, I feel like, around the league. And it's not just uh, in our sport, it's in every sport. But do you feel like uh, you had any of that from the coaching staff or from the, you know, your teammates and that it, it's not something people can see. And uh, guys do sympathize with it. But at the same time, it's like, all right, well, 
we need you out here. Obviously, you're a big cog of uh, of what we're trying to do. Right. Did you feel there was a a, a stigma or, or, or a, you know, I know you want to get back because you want to be competitive. You want to do what you love. But did you feel from the other side that you were, you know, people just didn't understand what was going on and that bothered you? Yeah, that definitely that definitely happened. That I sh- I I need to say that the club and the medical staff and the coaches were above and beyond fantastic the way they treated me. Um, but yeah, there were just certain teammates that would make kind of offhanded comments that I didn't really like try to hold it against them because I mean we were all there at some point where you just we didn't know. But I was really struggling on the inside and like I just felt terrible all the time. So. You know, if I would think about some comments that were directed my way, like from that lens, it would it would fire me up. But I, you know, I try to give them the benefit of the doubt because it's one of those things. If you haven't dealt with it, or like someone you really care about, or you know, hasn't hasn't dealt with it, like you just don't really know. Uh, and I didn't really know early in my career, so I I was like looking back, I was like, I hope I didn't say any like kind of wise ass like unqualified comments to to teammates. Uh, in the past, but yeah, it's just a, it's a scary place to be when you just feel totally different all the time and you can't, no matter what you do, you can't like get out of this space, uh, and just everyday stuff like driving or watching TV or all these little things just flared up and then trying to play while doing that is like, it's just not a, not a good fun, fun place to be in. Um, so I think, yeah, I think the stigma of, of it all was like something I felt for sure, but I tried to do a good job of not worrying about it too much because, uh, like like I said, the the team and the docs and the coaches who were really the people most important for my rehab and recovery had a really good understanding of it and and treated me better than better than I deserved. Okay, well I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And we'll uh, we'll we'll move on past that. Appreciate you walking uh, walking us through that. And- uh, we'll go. We'll go back to the uh, you know MLSPA stuff. A lot of people don't realize this, but you were you were kind of one of our our leaders. Um, you know, not just from a uh, you know the whole league standpoint as a player, but you know I was a I was a, one of the reps for various teams, and you were uh, you were a longstanding executive board guy. Um, you know, tell me uh, tell me what that meant to you and. And then I want to kind of dive into, you know, where the league was when you came in to, uh, you know, where it is now and where you'd like to see it going, going forward. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, yeah, I absolutely loved, loved, loved being a part of the PA. <clears throat> uh, my first year in 2009 was when we had a, our CBA was up. So I remember Nick Garcia was our team rep in Toronto at the time and I was just basically, I was new and green and I was just like, what? I don't even know what this is all about really, but just took an interest to it and obviously realized the impacts that the work that the PA was doing had on the league and how the CBA affected every player in the league for why do I have a teammate that makes $11,900 like that? Why And why does David Beckham make whatever he was making? It was just like, these different things about the league just intrigued me. So I, I wanted to get involved and then, um, natural progression to, to kind of run for the executive board and get a little bit more deeply involved. Uh, and we had another couple more CBAs, but yeah, it was just, I absolutely think the people over there are doing a great job, uh, and love being a part of that. And as you remember, those Vegas off season trips were just a ton of fun to, 
kind of meet and greet with players that are usually competitors, and then we're all sitting in a room trying to solve these bigger issues. So uh, I just like the I like the mission and the process of it all. It was something I gravitated towards is why I got involved. Awesome. And then where where do you? Um, I know you're 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 not involved anymore, but uh, where where do you? want to see these upcoming negotiations go what what do you think is important as a guy who you know we we've already stressed it enough you were drafted you were traded uh you know you you dealt with some uh some injuries things of that nature you've kind of been through a lot of the the issues that guys uh you know are, are fighting to make things better what would you like to see going forward out of this next negotiation yeah great question um there's probably too much to squeeze into one podcast, but I do, I still think the two, the, for me, the two main issues are budget, team spend, uh, and free agency, improving the rights of players to have the ability to move and take a hold of their own career and make their own choices for far too long. The league has had too much power uh, in deciding what people are worth and what they should be paid rather than opening it up to make it more of a free market, so to speak. Um, and I don't say that only because I, it's better for the players. I, it is better for the players, but I think it w- I think opening that up would be significantly better for the league. Uh, and I think there'd be, I think the league would be surprised. I, for example, I think free agency that we got in the last CBA only, it was so minimal, but I think it benefited the league it, and you made for better storylines. You had senior players moving around which I think made it a more entertaining and better product. Um, so I, I just think continuing to improve that and giving teams and players the ability to move and kind of take ownership, I think makes for great storylines, really good entertainment. You just look at NBA free agency, maybe theirs has gone a bit crazy in the other direction, but I think it makes for just awesome, competitive, compelling storylines when you have the league's best players kind of have the ability to move around and it requires, there's a huge ripple effect throughout, throughout the league that requires the teams to be more professional, uh, to kind of incentivize their players to want to stay. And so it just improves the quality throughout the league. So the two player spend players need to be paid more as investments, uh, and the league's financial picture gets healthier. And then, free agency needs to continue to improve because I think it's better for the league, uh, players too, but, but the league as a whole, I think that's, that makes for a better, uh, a better outcome. And that's why he was our leader as an executive board member. He knows his stuff, uh, <laughs> passionate about it. So I, I always enjoyed, uh, you know, you, I remember you and Jeff, I feel like we're the, uh, Jeff Lorenowitz were two of my favorite guys and that I, you, you knew the stuff thoroughly and you really had trust in you guys to go in and get us uh, what we what we needed. So uh, thank you for that. Yeah, uh, we're going to wrap, wrap it up here. Uh, you know, tell me about anything you got going on uh, charity wise off the uh, well, it's all off the field now for you, but um, yeah. something you're working on in the lo- local community that uh, you'd like to promote uh, here on the podcast. Yeah, um, the Down Syndrome Association of Winston-Salem. Winston-Salem is my hometown. Uh, My brother is currently the the chairman uh, and president of the organization, but they're just doing uh, doing awesome work advocating for inclusion and acceptance of those with Down Syndrome. Uh, And as he has a daughter with Down Syndrome, so my niece has Down Syndrome. And um, 
as we've seen her grow and he's and kind of grow up, he's become more involved in that. Uh, and it's piqued, obviously, my in- intrigue and interest of just kids and f- people and their families of people that have Down syndrome. You just realize there's so much room and growth um, yet to take place. So uh, kids with Down syndrome, if you don't know anybody with it, it's... Um, they're just, they could not be more joyful and they couldn't brighten your day in more ways than, um, than I could even explain on this podcast. So, uh, so for those, those people to be accepted and included in society and promoted, uh, I think makes us all better off. So, um, so if you're locally always support Google, what Down syndrome organization is going on. And then, um, if you ever want to be generous, please donate to the, the Winston-Salem, um, Down syndrome foundation there. So. That's my one shameless plug. Oh no, that's not shameless. That's a, that's an awesome initiative, and uh, you know I'm happy that uh, you know we could get that out there and uh, you know check that out, you guys that are listening. So, uh, listen, man, you were you were one of the 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 best, hardest working guys on the field. I think you were equally as as active, uh, you know, off the field for for the league, um, you know, and you're a guy that. I uh, always enjoyed watching playing. I enjoyed hanging out with you more than I did playing against you, which uh, that's actually a weird compliment. Um, <laughs> but thank you. Thank you so much for uh, for all you've done uh, for the league, but also thanks for uh, more importantly coming on the podcast today and, and letting people into that side of your life. My pleasure. It was a, it was a pleasure joining you. And somebody somebody with a bigger personality than me, like Daxer or somebody, needs to needs to flip this thing around and interview you. Because I think MLS fans, I think MLS <laughs> fans know, but you are one of the all-time great defenders in the league, but just just all-time great guys that uh, that everyone gets a kick out of. So I hope that we can flip this thing around one of these days. I think I think everyone's afraid to, uh, you know, they're afraid of the story, <laughs> the storytelling. So they, yeah, yeah, but this, you know, we we edit this, so it's it's all in good fun. Yeah, but, but no, man, it's anyway, been uh, yeah, it's thanks, been a dude. lot of fun. Yep, yep. Thanks, dude. First, let me say, uh, I'm going to challenge anyone that comes on the, the future podcasts. I, I think Sam does impersonations better than anyone. We only got to hear a, a couple today, but he does a, a very good Bruce Arena impression. So thanks for that, Sam. Uh, in our Where Are They Now segment, he mentioned Steve Zakawani. Uh, Steve is now the social media face for the Seattle Sounders. Uh, he was kind of a musician for a little while there and in the transition, and now he's found himself back in front of the camera uh, representing the club, and he's done a very good job. He's, he's uh, the face of the Sounders, in my opinion, from a social media standpoint. Uh, Carl Robinson, he went on to coach Vancouver, as many of you know, but now he's been having a lot of spot gigs as p- a pundit, both uh, in Canada, MLS, and over in uh, in England and, and Great Britain as well. So uh, he's linked to a lot of jobs uh, recently, some kind of uh, crazy ones like Costa Rica and, and different ones around the world. So it'll be interesting to see where he lands. Danny Dicchio, fan favorite, locker room favorite. Uh, he worked at Toronto in various coaching roles, you know, as an assistant and then with the academy. Uh, he also is an analyst in Canada uh, on almost uh, every platform. If they can get him on there, he's definitely a fan favorite. They like hearing from him. Uh, and last but not least, we have uh, Jason Hernandez. He's uh, retired recently, but now with Toronto FC. He's the manager of player engagement and uh, really just a just a great dude. Uh, if anyone followed what happened with uh, his family in Puerto Rico, 
during, uh, I can't remember the name of the tropical storm or the hurricane rather, um, I think it was Maria maybe, uh, but great story there where he people came through and, and helped him uh, get some aid down there to get some help. So uh, we wish Jason Hernandez all the best and his manager of player engagement role. If that involves uh, hyping people up, he will be the best at that job. So uh, thanks again to Sam for coming on and shedding some insight into not only his career, but also how it ended and some talk on head injuries, which uh, unfortunately have come to the forefront of sports today. Uh, but it's great to it's great to have him on and hear hear his story. He's not a guy that uh, you know necessarily has a lot of uh, stuff out there for you guys to check out. So we're excited that we were able to bring you uh, some insight into his life. Thanks, you guys. Look forward to uh, having someone else on soon. Thank you for listening to Play By Players. Visit playbyplayerspod.com for more episodes or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a production of the MLSPA. Learn more at mlsplayers.org.